Book Three, Chapter Seven of Amelia, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Hoffman. Amelia, by Henry Fielding. Chapter Seven, The Captain, continuing his story recounts some particulars which, we doubt not, to many good people, will appear unnatural. I was scarce sooner recovered from my indisposition that Amelia herself fell ill. This, I am afraid, was occasioned by the fatigues which I could not prevent her from undergoing on my account, for, as my disease went off with violent sweats, during which the surgeon strictly ordered that I should lie by myself, my Amelia could not be prevailed upon to spend many hours in her own bed. During my restless fits she would sometimes read to me several hours together. Indeed, it was not without difficulty that she ever quitted my bedside. These fatigues, added to the uneasiness of her mind, overpowered her weak spirits, and threw her into one of the worst disorders that can possibly attend a woman a disorder very common among ladies, and our physicians have not agreed upon its name. Some call it fever on the spirits, some a nervous fever, some the vapors, and some the hysterics. Oh, say no more, cries Miss Matthews. I pity you, I pity you from my soul. A man had better be plagued with all the curses of Egypt than with a vaporish wife. Pity me, madame, answered Booth. Pity rather that dear creature who, from her love and care of my unworthy self, contracted a distemper, the horrors of which are scarce to be imagined. It is indeed a sort of complication of all diseases together, with almost madness added to them. In this situation, the siege being at an end, the governor gave me leave to attend my wife to Montpelier, the heir of which was judged to be most likely to restore her to health. Upon this occasion she wrote to her mother to desire a remittance, and set forth the melancholy condition of her health, and her necessity for money, in such terms as would have touched any bosom not void of humanity, though a stranger to the unhappy sufferer. Her sister answered it, and I believe I have a copy of the answer in my pocket. I keep it by me as a curiosity, and you would think it more so could I shew you my Amelia's letter. He then searched his pocket-book, and, finding the letter among many others, he read it in the following words. Dear sister, my mamma, being much disordered, hath commanded me to tell you she is both shocked and surprised at your extraordinary request, or, as she chooses to call it, order for money. You know, my dear, she says that your marriage with this red-coat man was entirely against her consent and the opinion of all your family. I am sure I may here include myself in that number. And yet, after this fatal act of disobedience, she was prevailed on to receive you as her child, not, however, nor are you to misunderstand it as the favorite which you was before. She forgave you, but this was as a Christian and a parent, still preserving in her own mind a just sense of your disobedience and a just resentment on that account. And yet, notwithstanding this resentment, she desires you to remember that, when you a second time ventured to oppose her authority, and nothing would serve you but taking a ramble, an indecent one, I can't help saying, after your fellow, 
she thought fit to shew the excess of a mother's tenderness and furnished you with no less than fifty pounds for your foolish voyage how can she then be otherwise than surprised at your present demand which should she be so weak to comply with she must expect to be every month repeated in order to supply the extravagance of a young rakish officer you say she will compassionate your sufferings yes surely she doth greatly compassionate them and so do i though you was neither so kind nor so civil as to pose i should but i forgive all your slights to me as well now as formerly nay i not only forgive but i pray daily for you but dear sister what could you expect less than what hath happened you should have believed your friends who were wiser and older than you i do not here mean myself though i own i am eleven months and some odd weeks your superior though had i been younger i might perhaps have been able to advise you for wisdom and what some may call beauty do not always go together you will not be offended at this for i know in your heart you have always held your head above some people whom perhaps other people have thought better of but why do i mention what i scorn so much no my dear sister heaven forbid it should ever be said of me that i value myself upon my face not but if i could believe men perhaps but i hate and despise men you know i do my dear and i wish you had despised them as much but japta est jalia as the doctor says you are to make the best of your fortune what fortune i mean my mamma may please to give you for you know all is in her power let me advise you then to bring your mind to your circumstances and remember for i can't help writing it as it is for your own good the vapors are a distemper which very ill become a knapsack remember my dear what you have done remember what my mamma hath done remember we have something of yours to keep and do not consider yourself as an only child no nor as a favorite child but be pleased to remember dear sister your most affectionate sister and most obedient humble servant e harris oh brave miss betty cried miss matthews i always held her in high esteem but i protest she exceeds even what i could have expected from her this letter madame cries booth you will believe was an excellent cordial for my poor wife's spirits so dreadful indeed was the effect it had upon her that as she had read it in my absence i found her at my return home in the most violent fits and so long was it before she recovered her senses that i despaired of that blessed event ever happening and my own senses very narrowly escaped from being sacrificed to my despair however she came at last to herself and i began to consider of every means of carrying her immediately to montpelier which was now become much more necessary than before though i was greatly shocked at the barbarity of the letter yet i apprehended no very ill consequence from it for as it was believed all over the army that i had married a great fortune i had received offers of money if i wanted it from more than one indeed i might have easily carried my wife to montpelier at any time but she was extremely averse to the voyage being desirous of our returning to england as i had leave to do and she grew daily so much better that had it not been for the receipt of that cursed which i have just read to you 
I am persuaded she might have been able to return to England in the next ship. Among others, there was a colonel in the garrison who had not only offered, but importuned me to receive money of him. I now, therefore, replied to him, and, as a reason for altering my resolution, I produced the letter, and, at the same time, acquainted him with the true state of my affairs. The colonel read the letter, shook his head, and, after some silence, said he was sorry I had refused to accept his offer before, but that he had now so ordered matters, and disposed of his money, that he had not a shilling left to spare from his own occasions. Answers of the same kind I had from several others, but not one penny could I borrow of any, for I have been since firmly persuaded that the honest colonel was not content with denying me himself, but took effectual means, by spreading the secret I had so foolishly trusted him with, to prevent me from succeeding elsewhere. For such is the nature of men, that whoever denies himself to you with a fervor is unwilling that it should be done to you by any other. This is the first time I had ever felt that distress which arises from the want of money, a distress very dreadful indeed in a married state, for what can be more miserable than to see anything necessary to the preservation of a beloved creature, and not be able to supply it? Perhaps you may wonder, madame, that I have not mentioned Captain James on this occasion, but he was at that time laid up in Algiers, whither he had been sent by the governor, in a fever. However, he returned time enough to supply me, which he did with the utmost readiness on the very first mention of my distress. And the good colonel, notwithstanding his having disposed of his money, discounted the captain's draft. You see, madame, an instance in the generous behavior of my friend James, how false are all universal satires against humankind. He is indeed one of the worthiest men the world ever produced. But perhaps you will be more pleased still with the extravagant generosity of my sergeant. The day before the return of Mr. James, the poor fellow came to me with tears in his eyes, and begged I would not be offended at what he was going to mention. He then pulled a purse from his pocket, which contained, he said, the sum of twelve pounds, and which he begged me to accept, crying, he was sorry it was not in his power to lend me whatever I wanted. I was so struck with this instance of generosity and friendship in such a person, that I gave him an opportunity of pressing me a second time before I made him an answer. Indeed, I was greatly surprised how he came to be worth that little sum, and no less at his being acquainted with my own wants. In both points he presently satisfied me. As to the first, it seems he had plundered a Spanish officer of fifteen pistoles, and as to the second, he confessed he had it from my wife's maid, who had overheard some discourse between her mistress and me. Indeed, people, I believe, always deceive themselves, who imagine they can conceal distressed circumstances from their servants, for these are always extremely quick-sighted on such occasions. "'Good heavens!' cries Miss Matthews. "'How astonishing is such behavior in so low a fellow!' "'I thought so myself,' answered Booth. "'And yet I know not,' on a more strict examination into the matter, why we should be more surprised to see greatness of mind discover itself in one degree or rank of life than in another. Love, benevolence, or what you will please to call it, may be the reigning passion in a beggar as well as in a prince, and wherever it is, its energies will be the same. 
To confess the truth, I am afraid we often compliment what we call upper life, with too much injustice at the expense of the lower. As it is no rare thing to see instances which degrade human nature in persons of the highest birth and education, so I apprehend that examples of whatever is really great and good have been sometimes found amongst those who have wanted all such advantages. In reality, palaces, I make no doubt, do sometimes contain nothing but dreariness and darkness, and the sun of righteousness has shone forth with all its glory in a cottage. End of Book 3, Chapter 7 Recorded by Robert Hoffman